Microphone checker. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Before we get started on this week's episode, shouts to everybody who checked out last week's episode with Sue Surf. Newark's own. Man, let me tell you something. Super drums would drop. Talking about a dude who got shot five times and now is really starting to live some of his best life and is inspired by the dude who shot him. Okay? He's not mad at it. But listen, let me tell you. If you never heard of Sue Surf, I promise you, put that on your to-do list. You never know who's going to be on the Premium Pete Show. That's how I've been telling you for years. Shouts to everybody worldwide. And you know when I say this, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. I want to know what you're listening to. Let me know what's going on. Don't be telling me what type of pizza you're. Sometimes somebody hit me the other day and told me that, uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio has the best pizza in the world. Get the fuck out of here. I don't I, how does that even make sense? Columbus, Ohio has the best pizza in the world? Internet, just hit me on Twitter, hit me on Instagram at premium p at premium p show. Let me know what you're listening to. I know Albany was on the check in last week. Uh we had Russia. Who else? Somebody was in from Melbourne, I think Australia. Listen, Internet's worldwide, I appreciate you. Just continue to uh subscribe, rate. Uh, leave a comment, you know, and tell a friend to tell a friend. If there's a certain episode that you liked or you think is good for somebody else, just send it to somebody else, okay? Don't be selfish. Now, you know, every week I always uh, get on my Pastor Pete shit and I put something on my Instagram, at Premium Pete. This week I put, uh, I've learned over the years, bumps in the road in life always seem to lead to the best places. Again, I'll say that. I've learned over the years, bumps in the road in life always seem to lead to the best places. Let me tell you, and what I'm going to tell you about that is trust the journey even when you don't understand it. There's been plenty of times where I've been um, on a roller coaster ride and in many rooms and meetings and contracts and things, you know, where some of the shit, I, I just had to trust the process. And, and then there's doors that close and you're like, damn, man, you know, shit, what do I do? But sometimes, you know, and there's obviously the cliche of one door closes um, and another one opens, but I promise you, sometimes the bumps in the road lead to some of the best places. There's people who, uh, you know, got in situations and and kind of thought like their life was over or, or they didn't know where they were going to go or how they're going to evolve or reinvent themselves. So trust the process, man. Don't uh, don't think you're alone on this shit, okay? Pastor Pete is here for you, okay? Shasta Taylor, she knows what it is. But, Internet, let me tell you something. This week, we sit down with, and he, no, he's not my twin. The one and only Drew Ha, co-founder of Duck Down. Uh, been in the game so many years and in, in, involved in management, you know, managing uh, Young M.A. And, 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 and so many other people. I mean, just a, just a history of Duck Down music, almost signing Eminem. I mean, the story on that is insane and how that didn't happen and why that didn't happen. Uh, the, some amazing stories of, of our brother, Sean Price, rest in peace. You know, just, just everything, Smith, Smith & Wesson and... Helter Skelter, and, and, and everything that was involved uh, throughout the years. And it's funny, I say, no, we're not brothers, because a lot of people tag me uh, in Drew Haas' post and say, damn, y'all look alike. Well, no, 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 you know, yeah, he's Jewish, I'm Italian. We can't look alike, okay? He's one thing, I'm another, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But into this, okay, I don't even want to waste your time anymore. Let's get to this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show with the one and only Drew Ha. Cheer! 
Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the other smooth voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClam, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go. Internets, let's turn up one time. Premium Pete. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show was milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium peach show internet's welcome back to another episode of the premium peach show finally sitting down uh with somebody who a lot of people say look like uh we look like each other you know if you look at the pictures when you see the group picture or if you just look for drew high you'll see it okay i mean so many things we could call you know it's funny because as you get older and you're in the business and the game and this world that we live in yeah you you get you know called so many different names music executive manager right you know rapper don't don't lie that's right you, you, that's we'll, right we'll, we'll get into that and father and, and and so many things internet's welcome Drew Ha to the Premium Pete show man Drew as I was doing my own show now it's about maybe like two and a half years or whatever three years I don't even know. I was like, on my list, I was like, I had Drew Har on there. I was like, and sometimes you realize, even like, you know, I had Ralph McDaniels recently, but he was always on the list. Right. But I never got to him. And, I, you know, sometimes scheduling is this and traveling, but I was like, certain people to me, you know, it's like watching the journey, being around, seeing different stuff, you know, having a lot of mutual friends. You know, even like like before we started, we're talking off air about Sean Price. Mm -hmm. You know, rest in peace to... uh, uh, the legendary Sean Price. You know, Sean Carter is nice, but, you know, <laughs> but right. Sean Price is uh, the best. The best. Yeah. But but listen, Drew, welcome, man. Thank you, man. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate even being on the list, and I appreciate being here. Of course, man. You know, when we think about, uh, we'll bounce around, but when we think about Sean Price, mm-hmm. when is the first time that you ever even met Sean Price? Man, you're jarring the, jarring the memory. Think about the first time I met Sean I definitely met him through Tech and Steel. Okay. Smith and Wesson. Just Tech and Steel. Yeah. And they, you know, they put me on that they they had another artist or they were working with other other acts, which Top Dog was mm-hmm. is Steel's brother, D.O.G., and he was in a group called, you know, the Fab Five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, or they, actually, they weren't even Fab Five at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm messing up. I'm going to mess up the history right here. Like, okay. They weren't, they were, at that point, they were Helter Skelter and mm-hmm. OGC. Um but they were recording music together. So um, Steel told me about them or Tech. I'll I, I just say Smith & Wesson told me about Helter Skelter. Sure. And that was my first, you know, like meeting of them. I can't remember the very, I can't, I, it's messed up, but I can't remember the very first time I met him. I remember like early, I remember like we used to, we used to do a lot of work out of my apartment. I had a small studio apartment on 12th Street in Manhattan. And um, the you know the artists would literally we would just like work out of there during the day. The artists would come to the apartment, and I remember one time Sean was coming to my apartment, and on the buzzer he was looking for um, Ha. So like you know my, obviously is not my last name, but he yeah. thought, he thought that was my last name. Oh, your so, first name was Drew, and your last name was Ha. ha right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know how they have the names. Yeah, on, sure, there was no sure, doorman or anything. So he he left because he didn't see Drew Ha. And then you know whatever when he came up, we finally figured it out. He probably. Paige Steele or someone, and when he finally figured it out, he told me that story, and I was I was definitely laughing from that. That was like, you know, er, early early um, 
rock. That's how, yeah. you know, it was rock stages sure. at that point. You know, is, when he seen you, did, did he like, you know, because... Sean Price was very judgmental, funny, you know, <laughs> but he had a, over the years and, you know, I've seen and, and, and been in rooms and, and heard, you know, he had a lot of love and trust for you and you had a lot of patience with him and you guys, you know, you knew how to work with somebody like that. But his first impression, like, did he ever tell you, like, you know? Oh, I'm sure he was yeah. like, what the, f I'm sure he was like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, yeah. it, 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 I, he never told me, but I think that, um, he was one of the first people people to tell me not to rap anymore. <laughs> so you talk about his his honesty and his like sure. you know judgment, and then he said it in a way like if it wasn't up to par, then it shouldn't go down. Like and so early in those stages, I was still rapping. I was an aspiring rapper, although I knew that that wasn't going to be my direction. It wasn't like I was totally determined or thought that I was going to you know. Once I got around Buckshot and got around Smith and Wesson and mm -hmm. went to studio sessions. It's a whole different ballgame sure. of like what I experienced. But I was on a, a song on the Black Moon album called You the Man, and I don't even think Helter Skelter was around at that point, you know, meaning like in the, in the sure, session. Sure. So, do you remember? Um, do you remember your uh, part? Of course, I remember my part. I'll, I'll what never. The hell they, did they, you say? What the hell did you uh, say? Don't make me. Don't okay, okay. I'm dude, let's playing. just let's just replay it at some point. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna add it in. I'll add it in. Right. You I'm. A, I'm a little. I like. I can't. When I listen to it today, I can't believe that that's me. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it's. It takes me back. Um, what does it make you think of when you hear that? I mean, it makes it makes me think of my youth. Right. Yeah. It makes me think of my passion and my love for the music and like really where it started. It makes me. A little sad to the point that it, that I, I I transitioned so much to the business from like the carefree teenager young adult that I was at that point. Like, because I say I take it back to teenager, even saying that's how you know that that's really my introduction to how much I loved and grew up on the music. Um, Growing up where? In White Plains, New York. Okay. Yeah. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. And what what, what did mom and dad do? Um, my mom was a substitute teacher. My father was a lawyer. Mm. Yeah. I was, so has he done any work for you? Well, rest in peace to my pops. He, he yeah, um, I know. You run the marathon. We'll get to I that. I ran the okay. marathon for him. He he did, and he was a integral part. Um, all the guys got to meet him. Um, you know, Buckshot and him developed a great relationship. He helped us very early on. With he wasn't a music attorney. He was a real estate attorney, but he learned the music quickly. Sure, sure. And one of our first major deals was with Priority Records, um, Brian Turner, and mm -hmm. that whole mm -hmm. West Coast. You know everything that was going on there. And my father actually played like an integral role in helping us negotiate and do that deal. He flew out to L.A. with me and Buck. And there's a real funny story there. Is that you know my dad's a punctual dude. He's never experienced the music business sure, in, sure. In, on any level, and he was meeting us on a plane to go to Los Angeles and he boarded the plane. We weren't, me and Buck weren't even in the airport yet. Like we literally, there was no texting, cell phones, nothing sure, at sure. this point. He thought the only thing he could do was get on the plane and that we of course would be there. And Buck and I are doing the OJ through the parking lot, through everything to get on that plane. And when I finally got on the plane, I saw my father, I mean, you know, what must've been going through his mind that he was about to fly out to LA by, by himself. <laughs> And we, um, you know, they, they, and we, we got to LA. That that part went well, but you know, Buck can just that was always Buck. He was always late. He was always like sure. pushing the limit. But I could, you know, me and my dad, like when I saw him on the plane, I knew he wanted to just, he yeah, just yeah. wanted to. What do you, you got know, me doing here? Yeah, and strangle my neck right on the spot. But he he composed himself. He had his drink. 
Uh, we flew out to L.A. We got picked up in a limo. And I think all those things were, were kind of like, he was like, oh, wow, this is real. This isn't like my son talking about a little hobby. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. I was probably 21, 22 at the time. And, um, what were you doing down in LA? If you, if we we were going to meet with Priority Records. Okay, I probably was actually a little bit little bit older. Maybe I was twenty three, twenty four. But we got to the um, we got to the hotel. We were staying in like you know some like music industry spot in, on Hollywood, and Heavy D ended up getting in the, in the elevator with us. And my dad, he he knew the songs because that's all I would play in the yeah, car sure, or whatever. Sure. And he we told him that was Heavy D, and he was like, oh, that's diddly diddly. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yeah, Dad, that's heavy D. So, yeah, my father was, um, you know, was involved. He, he, we learned quickly that it wasn't going to be for him, and then that we, you know, we got other attorneys along the way pretty quickly. Um, he also was developing, like, you know, a sickness at the time. He had, sure. he came down with Alzheimer's, and even in my talkings and dealings with him er, in the early stages of him being diagnosed, like, I realized, like he was losing it a little bit. Like when you have a disease like that, it's not something that you notice right away. It's just like very small things. And still being very young, I'm looking at my father like the know-it-all, you know, like I'm gonna defer to him in terms of, especially when it came to the legal. So as he's breaking down contracts to me and then I would like ask certain questions and I'd be like, wait a minute, I don't know if what he's saying, I feel like he's taking me in a circle or if, if it's not totally, the way that I think it should be, and sure. I start, I started questioning him more and more, um, would lead to some frustration on my part because now we're, you know, we're on the phone for sure. hours talking through things that I felt we could have talked through in 15, 20 minutes. I didn't know what was going on. Like I wasn't even thinking that it was a disease. I was just thinking, like, man, maybe this isn't for him. <laughs> the music side of it. So you know, we transitioned away from him a bit. Um, as he knew we were good and we were set up in that deal. But the, the guys, Smith and & Wesson and Buck, uh, they definitely helped and, and developed a relationship with him too that, you know, to this day, if you, if you would see them and ask uh, them about him, I'm sure they'd, you know, they'd, they'd have good memories and fond things to say about him. That's important. You know, I remember, you know, you running the marathon when, you, when your pops passed. Like, I remember you training. That, that if anyone wants to look on YouTube, there's always a <laughs> classic, legendary, uh, where Sean Price and, and Dallas, Dallas Penn were preparing you for the marathon, but just on some hood shit, you know? Oh, uh, man, I love that. Sh- I love that video. I love all those things that, that me and Sean were, were, like, we were early, right? And those those were, yeah. like, early in terms of, like, what was happening on the internet and webisodes and I, you know those type of like series that could have been developed, but we every time something happened, we always found a way to put our spin on it, and like you know the juxtaposition because you said it earlier. And I don't know what you, you know. I kind of understand where you were, where you were going with it of like what did he think of me? I think like after, and and this goes for all those guys. Like after they got to know me a little bit, I think what they liked most about me was that. I was in my lane. I was from White Plains. I wasn't sure, sure. trying to say that I was from Brooklyn or that I was, you know, doing anything more than what I was capable of doing. And that I think was like, you know, what was recognized. Would we have been friends if we didn't come together to, to you know, form a business and, and go into business with one another? Most likely no way, right? Like our paths wouldn't have crossed. We wouldn't have had the same things in common, most likely outside of the music. Um, and you know we we probably just it wouldn't have been a, a match, but when you come together for business and when you come together for work, you can develop like real deep friendships sure. and, and you and did understand this. yeah and that that's what happened over the years, and Sean's honesty 
and judgmentalness, like, oh, all those things just developed. And, I, and th- those are the things that I loved in the pre, I loved his brutal honesty. If I, to this day, when I get dressed, I'm thinking about what, what Sean would say. Yeah, yeah. what the fuck you wearing, <laughs> these, Drew? Yeah, these shoes where he'd be, he'd be tight, that my pants were a little tighter right now, but he, you know, that that was the trend. He never had the body for it anyway, so he'd just be mad that he couldn't do that. You know, uh, <laughs> there's another legendary duck down uh, YouTube video where uh, Sean Stales Christmas. It's on uh, YouTube, internet. If you never seen it before, just go Google Sean Price uh, Christmas. And there's a video. Isn't there a story that I remember you had to trick him to do that? I had like, to pay him. Yeah, I had to but, pay him to join Twitter. Tell that. Tell that. Yeah, I mean, it's because he was amazing. First of all, he was amazing on Twitter. Once he got on there, he used to block people. <laughs> people used to ask for him to block him. Like, yo, people were proud to get blocked by Sean P. Yeah, it was. This was all in like I. I really wrote when he passed away. I wrote a, a eulogy. Yeah, that, I, remember that, yeah. I mean, it was intense. Like, I honestly, I look back on it and I'm almost, I'm, you know, a humble dude. But I'm impressed with what I wrote because it was yeah. like. There was such a story to the eulogy and the way that it flowed. And I only had like, a, I don't know, a couple of days to get it together in terms of it. But I, a lot of these, like, I, you know, I would tell the stories, like what you, which kind of what you mentioned. Like it was just such an amazing person that whatever it was, he kind of went the opposite. Where everyone was trying to get more followers, Sean was like, he'd block you. He didn't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. He blocked me. I'd be blocked for like a month at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, Sean, it'd be, a, it'd be to your benefit if I was unblocked because yeah, yeah. there might be people trying to... Fuck out of it. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. so whatever. I, and then people would come to me and they'd ask, could I speak to him to get them unblocked? And then he'd be like, you a bitch ass. You're going to Drew. Like, you're going to Drew thinking that he can get you up. Now you're both blocked. Like, <laughs> if I would bring someone up, then he, that, that's when he would block me. Um, but yeah, I had to pay him to go on Twitter because I knew how funny he would be. I knew how great of a platform it would be for him. I knew how he needed the promotion. It was like a, a marketing tool. Sure. Again, in the very beginning times, right? It was it was probably yeah, MySpace and Twitter. There wasn't much else. So um, he first like six, seven months, eight months of doing it. Everyone was on there. He wouldn't do it. And then finally, I just said, "Look, I'm going to make this part of your publicity budget instead of giving it to a publicist. You know, we'll pay you." And I, I worked out a deal with them. It was I don't know what I paid him. It was a couple thousand dollars. It wasn't ongoing. He wanted me to pay him monthly, and I was like, no, motherfucker. Look, I'm going to pay you one time, <laughs> and if you stop posting, then you know I'm going to have to figure something else out. But once he got on, I knew he was going to love it, and he did, and he made it a world of his own, and he made it a business. It made it a business for himself because I always had the... Um, since we set up the Twitter for him, I always had his feed. So the direct message, like he, he wouldn't even remember or know, but like I would see all the DMs coming in. That guy got so many features yeah. <laughs> through his DM, and he would never tell me, of course. Like he would yeah. never say, "Hey, yeah. here, you know, as my manager, here's your percentage." Or so I saw so much business go down through the the Twitter, and I'm glad it worked out for him. And you know, obviously to this day, we still use it as a platform for him. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the album he released. Uh, that Bernadette and shouts to Bernadette and family um, has done well and a lot of merch you yeah. know people are buying supporting and, yeah. and you just recently had uh, um, the um, we did a show for us around his birthday um, you know Bern is always doing something and we're, we're constantly talking to Bernadette about new ideas and new ways to kind of you know create and, and keep the legacy alive and it's fortunate that he left a lot of music you know there was a, there was a lot of a lot of drives and a lot of unreleased music is th- like we were about to put out songs in the key of price as a mixtape whether he passed or not like that was the plan that album was coming out and it was just so cr- a lot of people thought like oh we just whipped that 
the mixtape together sure. three, you know, two, three weeks after he passed. And I was like, no, that shit was ready. He had turned it in and it was ready to go. What we did do is like get all the packages and all of the, you know, custom things that sure. you could buy with it. And of course, we took advantage of it for Bernadette. And everything that we did was in conjunction with Bernadette. It wasn't like we ever did a project and told her about it afterwards. It was like everything was in tandem. Um, True. Keep the legacy alive. Yeah, yeah and he was, a, he was a big part of Duck Down's business too ruck like down. yeah ruck down it was the resurgence of duck down he gave us new life in terms of even like attracting new artists and keeping us in the mix there there's so many things to like when you have an artist that's starting to move sure sure you know and he was the one that figured out how to kind of like get out of the 90s and get out of he didn't want us to present him as helter skelter he didn't want us to present him as ruck like he wanted to be sean price and he kind of showed me you know what was possible if you like you know try something new or just do something different so it was it was a big you know a bigger loss as a friend i loved i love sean sure. like as everyone did i mean i had a a, a very unique and special relationship sure. with him he made me laugh goddamn near every day he made me laugh when i was in my maddest moments like he would always find a way <laughs> You know, and and he and he was also tough as nails. So like he could dead a lot of problems for me quickly. You know, not, not, that would never be my style. But like when push came to shove, he would shove. You know. Yo, you know it's so funny when you say that. I just remembered. Um, when we went up to Hot 97 a couple of years ago with Combat Jack show, about five years ago, maybe mm-hmm. even six, we were talking about minors versus majors. I don't know if you remember of this course, conversation. Of course. And I brought up something about duck down or something about like you know that it, it being a sausage fest i was like saying right <laughs> right and i remember that buckshot Buck yo, didn't, like that, right? didn't like that right, right? i remember that and yo, know, he started uh tweeting some shit or whatever and 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 he was very upset yo he was threatening me and shit and i remember i called sean price and he's like yo i already took care of that shit don't even worry about it and right. i like, what and he like got us on the phone and he was like, you know, me and Buck became real cool uh, uh, after that, you know, yeah. or do, doing a bunch of things and, and, and staying in touch with each other. But I remember, he, you know, but the way they explained it to, to uh, uh, you know, the way it was transformed, like, I, I didn't mean it like that. I was just explaining of what I have experienced. It was a sausage fest, No, man. I know, but, fuck. but but the way it was <laughs> No, Buck's taken, a firecracker, yeah. man. Buck is a firecracker, and, and he's, it's, it's totally different than Sean Price, personality. Sure. You know, was so as as like Ruck Sean had was a funny dude, but he wasn't a. I know he can be clownish and to make you laugh in like clownish ways, but he was far from a clown. Like sure, right, sure. how how smart he was and how knowledgeable he was, and that that was the other thing. Like I think he always came from a position of fairness. Like when I said I was saying push, you know, push a shove, he would shove. But it had to be. He had to see your reason. So I I wouldn't just be able to tell him something. And and that's not my style anyway. Like I, I, I very rarely would would sure, sure. go to those measures. But I'm just saying, like if I was telling him a problem and he disagreed with it from how he saw that maybe I was the cause of the problem or maybe it like he would let you know that too. It wasn't just it wasn't just offense, and he was like on my side all the time. And I think that kind of you know is what made him special too. Is it was like he would see he would see something and say, look. This is the fair way to probably you know solve it. And if sure, we can't sure. get it done like that, that's when sure. you know he would escalate. But Buck, um, 
you know, Buckshot is 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 a ball of energy, and if he didn't like it, right or wrong, like you know, Buck is coming with that fury. Yeah, I remember that shit. I mean, even I'm thinking back too. It got me reminiscing, but I remember I'm thinking back when I remember Sean used to tell me to, oh, you, you know, Drew's office, like find out about your snacks. Remember he used to ask about like <laughs> what type of snacks you have. Like, he would tell you to ask me. Yeah, some uh, shit. Like if you had snacks in the office, you know. <laughs> but let's take it back to even you talk about Buckshot. Yeah, and you being the co-founder of Duckdown, mm-hmm. you know what's the what's the the exact entity? Is it Duckdown Records? Is it Duckdown Music? Is it Duckdown? So we we changed it over the years for various reasons, but it started as Duckdown Enterprises. Mm-hmm. Well, actually started as Duckdown Management. That was mm-hmm. the first Duckdown company, um, and, and that was between you and and Buckshot. Me and Buck, and then we created Duckdown Enterprises, which became which was going to become the music umbrella, like to do different deals for different artists. So Smith and Wesson was the first. Um, group signed under Duckdown Management. It's like a management client. But they were signed to Nervous Records, as was Black Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we created Duckdown Enterprises, and that's who we did like a production deal with Priority Records with. And we signed Helter Skelter and OGC to Duckdown Enterprises. And then as the years went on and we had to like shift the business model a little bit, we kind of dissolved that company and created Duckdown Music. Everyone always called it Duckdown Records. We never, ever called it Duckdown Records, maybe on Duck a few Down? T-shirts. Well, it was Duckdown Enterprises, and then it went from that to Duckdown Music. Like, so like we, it. you know, but yeah, yeah. maybe on some shirts and things like that, we used Duckdown Records. But we always felt like it was, it was. We knew that the game was shifting and changing, even though it hadn't happened yet. We kind of felt like it wasn't just always going to be records; like it was going to be other formats. So, you know, the, you big know, deal. Yeah, no, you know, they always try to hold you saying uh, that uh, you missed the opportunity to sign the one and only Marshall Matters. Eminem. Yeah, man. You know, how the hell did uh, that even go down? So we saw um, M at a Lyricist Lounge showcase. Smith and Wesson were. Where was this? In, in New York. In New York, um, I don't remember the venue, but uh, Smith and Wesson were hosting it. They weren't performing, and M was performing. And he got up on stage, and I remember I was on stage because Smith and Wesson were. It was a small stage, but I was on the side, and um, his he got up on stage and his dat didn't start playing right away and the mm. crowd was hostile like you know it's not kind of like it is today i think it's i think it's a lot easier today for an artist to perform or crowds don't boo as easily it was it was more 8 mileish back yeah, then yeah, you know sure, like sure, sure. right he's basing the movie on something and that shit was real his dat didn't start right away it was a predominantly black crowd um, so you know there weren't as many nearly as many accepted white MCs back then right that's also sure. like a little bit of a, of okay white boys on stage what's he gonna do um, it, the crowd started to rumble a little bit couple of heckles started and then the dat just kicked in and he went ballistic right right on the spot like da 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 you know Eminem sure, classic sure. style and I just I know Shucky was also on the other side of the stage I Shucky was from Duckdown Shucky from Duckdown I was like get it get his number <laughs> and I just told Shucky to um to get his number like I motioned for it and he did and and uh, a couple of days later Paul Rosenberg and M came up to our offices on 18th street and we had them in the office and you know we started talking to them about a deal and you know Buck loved them um and we tried to get it done but the way it was for us is that earlier I said a production deal right because we weren't really a true we thought we were but really all we were was a logo in someone else's office um we had to go to them for permission to sign acts we had to go to them for money they funded our overhead like when priority went away we went away so we had to go to them and and 
we did, we sent a proposal saying, look, this is the artist and we want to sign them. We had a certain amount of money that we were automatically allowed to draw from that they couldn't say no to. It was like 150 grand. Back then, that's, a, that's not, yeah, so, yeah. no, back then that actually wasn't a lot of money really? to sign an artist. Today, it would be a pretty decent deal in the indie world or whatever. But um, he wanted more right off the bat, like, because he was signed to some other production company and they knew that they were going to have to take care of them. And they also knew they had something special and they wanted more. And we went to try to go above and beyond what they were asking for. And that caused like a, a, a holdup in the priority office. And they were like, it's the fourth quarter. You guys just signed some other groups. Like, you know, these are the messages that we were getting back. Uh, but, I, you know, it's, it's easy for me. I, I tell this story a lot. I'm sure some people might have heard me say it before. But it'd be easy for me to blame it on priority and be like, they messed it up. It was their fault. The truth is that, and this is for young people or whoever else is listening sure. that you're going at it. When you want to get something done and you believe in it and that's what you want, you, you find a way. And as quick as I might have got a letter or something saying, no, you know, you can't do this right now, I should have been on a plane to L.A. I should have been knocking on the president's door of priority. I should have been, you know, hooping and hollering louder than not letting it go. Like, you want to do something, find a way to get it done. So I don't I don't blame priority. I'm just telling you the story yeah, of, like, sure. you know, kind of what happened. And I, we stayed in touch with Paul. Um, they were considering a few offers at the time, and we, we stayed in touch with Paul, you know, all through the process. We were going to actually try to help manage him um, once we couldn't get the deal done, signed for him, and Paul was focusing on his legal career. Um, and then, you know, I told Paul, hey, maybe we can do management, and we said, let's give it a shot. Paul called me back like a month later and said, look, I think I'm going to shift from legal to management. Maybe we'll do it together, you know, and it kind of just kind of, you know, dissipated like over time. So again, my fault. <laughs> Letting something like that go away. I, I, I also tell a funny story of like, um, I remember a phone call where it was like Eminem was on one line, like the receptionist saying, Drew, you have Eminem, and, you, and, and Louisville is online too. Louisville's a, yeah. a MC from OGCs. And you know, I took the Louisville call. When I clicked back to M, he was gone. He didn't, you know, didn't want to wait, whatever. So those are like those decisions of Louisville, you know, Eminem, Louisville, <laughs> I'm like, which call I take now to, to, you know, my backing, Louisville was already an artist that was, you know, sure. was going down for Fab Five at that point. And that's where my allegiance and loyalty would have, you know, would have been aligned with at that moment. But, um, you know, I spoke to Emma a few times uh, during that process and we tried to help and it didn't move quickly for them in the Interscope building. Paul was, you know, I remember frustration from Paul of like, yo, we want to do this, we want to do that. We're not getting the things that we need yet. And I was like, in due time, in due time. And it, it becomes that waiting process, like as you're a signed artist on a major label to the point where they're going to move on you. And, and it's tough to fill in those gaps of like, it, it's easy to look back on it. But when you say, you know, no one's moving on you for nine or 10 months and an artist wants to do things, you if you're a, a manager that's good at what you're doing, you're finding ways to occupy sure. that artist's time. And, you know, again, I, I didn't do enough to keep that relationship moving and going, but um, it is all a true story. It's not like some people will say, oh, I almost had this. And I'm like, nah, we, you know, M, M says it on, on some records. Yeah, he, didn't he drop your name in there or something like that? Or Duck Down? What did he say? Yeah, he said, you know, he, he dissed the labels that he felt weren't sincere. And he mm -hmm. said, before I signed to the before I signed to something I almost signed with Duck Down and he says it and he bigged us up on the first album because we were always honest with him like we always came back and we showed him the letters that we were getting from Priority like we were like look we want to do this but our hands are tied and 
You know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like he f- didn't feel like we put the effort in. Do you think it was just money? Like, if you had 150, would 300 would have done it? Yeah, yeah. If we had the money that because we, we knew what their number was, yeah. and if we had it and we did it, we probably would have went to contract with it. So, have you seen him recently over there? You know, I saw him <laughs> a couple of. We went to his house. He um, we went to his studio. Not it was not to his house. He had Buckshot and myself come to his house maybe four or five. When he made that record, he he. He made um, I Got You Open yep, yep. over, and he invited me and Buck to come. Not really, He didn't really care about me, but he invited Buck to come to the session to like to actually do the hook. And Paul, of course, knew that like I would go. So I got to spend some time. I actually spent a whole day with him out there. We watched football. It was a Sunday. The football games were on, and we, we reminisced, and we talked a little bit. But the first time that I had saw him, even going back after all the successes, one time I was at a—, a party for it was either for Interscope or for something that he did with a car company and we were all in the same place and I was in the bathroom um, and I'm using the bathroom and they I guess M and the bodyguard or whatever come in and they clear they wouldn't let anyone else come into the bathroom but I was already in the bathroom t- I was already in so the body gonna piss right so the, the bodyguard goes back out to the front door and Eminem you know he thinks that he locked down the I, he, I guess he didn't see me or whatever yeah. he thinks he locked down the whole bathroom and that's just me and M in the bathroom and I'm sure he would never remember this but of course I would never forget it and he you know we, we both he was like wait a minute he's like what's up man <laughs> I'm pissing so I can't like you know yeah, yeah. Dab him <laughs> over. Like, all, all the awkward things are there and I was like yo congrats on everything you know like I saw all I could say to him but we're still in the bathroom and I just I just kind of said congrats and kept it moving mm, that's classic yeah you know what let's take a quick break internet's not going nowhere we're sitting here with the one and only legendary Drew Ha be right back Cheer. Yo, check this out, man. It's Prodigy from the infamous Mob Deep, the head nigga in charge, HNIC. You know what I'm saying? Repping at Queens, New York. Chilling, man, right now, man. Just kicking it, you know what I mean? With my homie, Premium Pete. And this is the Premium Pete show. Keep it locked right here. Don't go nowhere. Real shit, one. Internet's and we're back sitting here with Juha, my guy, man. Yeah. Uh, stories for days is amazing. The Eminem story is, you know, it's crazy when you think about one thing I really like about the journey of of you, particularly is how you talk about. Look, you know, it it seems like it taught you something. You know, <laughs> your hands were tied a little, right? You think yeah. about it, your hands were tied, but you're not saying it like ah, uh, you know, you're saying it like, you know, I, I I'm like like you know, I could have did this, I could have did that, I could have did. I, I, you know, a lot of people don't think like that. A lot of people blame other people. A lot of people have different feelings about things and. And the way you have that open mind is, is something that I like, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, it's definitely one where you look back and you think it would be a life-changing type of... That's not. That's like winning the lottery, you know? So <laughs> yeah. who knows how the story would have gone? Or, or And we were also talking off, off air, like, just in terms of what type of career it would have... You know, would have it followed the same trajectory if sure. he was with us versus how Dr. Dre introduced him and the powers that be at Interscope and Jimmy and all the beautiful minds you know that came together. But of course, I always believe in the MC and I think that the, the true artist will always rise sure, to the sure. top. So. Did. I remember, I, I, don't, I think it was a Funkmaster Flex tape. The first time, first song I heard Eminem was that song, If I Get Locked Up Tonight. Yeah. You know, I, I think that was what it was, right? It yeah. was like, that shit was so, I remember he came out the gap, who the fuck is this? Uh, it had a little like funny shit in it, yeah. you know, where he's like, you know, like, you I'll stab you in the head, and you know, exa- like, see that, and you couldn't tell, right? At the I time, it was a joke. Exactly. Was it? Was it? 
niche? Was it like comedy? Was it that I remember playing it, a demo of his because we had demo. I don't know what the demos were, but I remember playing it for my younger brother who now runs Duck Down. We, we I'm sure we'll get into to that in sure. a bit, but. Um, he at the time was 14 or 15 so I played it for him like what do you think and it was things about like I'll take the eraser and bop yeah. <laughs> it was totally different than Smith and Wesson and Black Moon and Helter Skelter and the things that you know Classic. was making part of what my career was becoming so it was it was a total shift and that's you know, when we talked about it earlier of saying, like, how hard do you go after something? Maybe that's with some of the hesitation, too, is like not not knowing what it was going to become. Sure, sure. Who would have known? You know, you even spoke about, uh, I don't know if you want to bring that up, but you spoke about, you know, like Mac Miller working with Mac Miller. When did you meet Mac? We met Mac. Um, well, we didn't, it wasn't so much meeting Mac. It was more like trying to sign him. And because I said M wasn't my, like, here I am sitting here trying to, you know, brag about my failures. <laughs> Not, or or, or the, the almost moments. And I, I think that too often in, in the business, you, you do run across people, oh, I know him and I did that. But I, I always kind of joke around about saying, like, when I'm telling these stories, like, they're really, really real. Like, they, they really almost happened. And with Mac, we... Um, we knew his manager, uh, Benji, mm-hmm. and we knew what they were doing with Wiz Khalifa at the time. And we tried to, like, you know, uh, meet with them. And, and we did. We met with Benji first and just said, look, this is something that we feel we can do, that we can help you with. And he had a little bit of bad taste in his mouth from the indie deal that he had just did. I won't mention the labels, but sure, sure. he had an indie deal set up with Wiz where they weren't really getting what they thought they should get. And that kind of tainted his you know, feeling about doing another indie project. And they ended up just, you know, creating their own company from that point, which became Rostrum. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that we, we spawned that, but we were in the conversations and we, you know, we got into contract or we had sent a bunch of proposals out and we were playing at that point, you know, ping pong. It was going back and forth of trying to get the deal done. So I think for us, it was important that we identified certain things. This was pre-YouTube. This was pre really internet of when you're discovering music at that point it wasn't just as easy as it as it is today for us to all agree and look at something and say oh he's got a million views oh he's got eight hundred thousand sure, followers sure, sure. we we can all agree on that today back then you did have to use a little more judgment you did have to you know someone had to put you up on something you did have to go see it and i remember that sean liked mac and that was a you know a part of it obviously for us that he was a fan too because i trusted sean's judgment. i'm like if sean likes something like you know, I know he only liked very, uh, very official sure. MCs and certain certain or styles. People, yeah, and people. So, you know, there, there's a few more I could I go down the line, but <laughs> we we had. Oh, he's almost. Are we staying on the yeah, almost? almost? There are stories. other people. There are others, but um, what whatever. We'll we'll we'll, right, move we'll from go that. back. To, we'll, at the end, we'll ask for one more uh, of who it is. But this is not only about that. You know, uh, what I do want to go over is back then. You think of the deals that you were signing with artists or the deals that you were getting thrown towards you from record companies. Mm-hmm. How much different is it today? Like, because you evolved, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, you think about it. Like, you know, there's some people that can't evolve and got left behind. Yeah. How, how much different were they? Like, were, were they tremendous money back then? Like, was it, you know, how did you evolve from, like, how were they back then and how did you evolve from now? Well, the independent scene, because we were always independent sure. and it wasn't, I always say this to people too. It wasn't like we were independent going, yo, because it became like a thing to say like, oh, I'm independent. Like yeah, yeah. that, yeah, you're independent motherfucker because you couldn't get signed to a major. <laughs> like that was kind of the lane that we were in. Like we were backed by Priority Records, but we were still, we weren't, 
you know, set up through a Def Jam or through an Interscope. Um, you know, so we were still operating in, in our own space. But the there were more major labels back then, right? They and they hadn't splintered off yet and and or consolidated yet to that point. They were just like kind of all over the place. Uh, so there were more deals to be had. And when the music started to sell, when hip hop really started to take off. The deals in 95, 96, 97, they were massive. You know, you could catch million, two, three million dollar deals. Not if you were an independent artist, though. Um, so I think that that kind of changed a little bit as the the music started to, you know, not sell as well. Um, for us, we never relied upon those major label budgets because we never, you know, we never had them. Yeah. So we had to like kind of make do with what we had and, and it gave us a little bit of an advantage of how to figure out. We thought, like, again, I'm saying we were independent even back then. We, we Truthfully, we weren't, right? Because we were funded sure, by sure, priority. priority. Up until 1998 or 99, Priority lost its deal. They got folded into Capitol Records. And when they went away, that our funding went away, and so at that point, and like it wasn't until 1999 that we as Duckdown really became a true independent label. But we had learned so much in those years at Priority of, you know, recording budget, marketing budget, manufacturing costs, all the things that go into making a record and putting it out, that we were, you know, well equipped to kind of like figure it out from that point forward. I also learned. As quick as I went from like a beautiful office on 18th Street, I had like we had a whole floor. It was like the penthouse, Not, nothing um you know, nothing like super crazy, but it was a beautiful office. And the day that that deal expired, I was back in my apartment with the with the I took the copy machine oh and goodness. put it in my kitchen. <laughs> like, so I went from like you know having seven, eight offices on 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 18th Street to going back into my apartment. I you know, my staff I had to let go of like almost three quarters of the staff because they were supporting the payroll. Um, the artists, I only had a little bit of time with them because they had contracts with us, but we had to fulfill those contracts to be able to let them record. So like everything came crashing down pretty quickly. And that's, you know, as we started to rebuild it, that's when we took everything we knew and said, look, we're never going to be in this position again where we're relying on someone to be our, you know, if, sure, if they sure. go, we go. Like, I can't, you can't operate a business like that. And I, like, for me, that was the wake up call of like trying to understand and learn how to do it, where we built everything up, where we owned everything, where we could rely on ourselves for funding, do, do your own manufacturing and all that you really needed from a record label at that point, which was a, a different day and age, was distribution. And that was to get you into you know, the malls and the stores. Sure, sure. And I'm not talking about, like, again, you can't put this conversation to today. It's not, even when you think about the re last record stores are like Best Buy, but I'm talking about the days of Sam Goody and sure. the, Wiz the Wiz. And yeah, I mean, yeah. all the chains that were, you know, in, in, in the malls, you had to be in the malls throughout the country. So you did need a distribution partner and it wasn't so easy to get. It wasn't like anyone could just sign up to TuneCore and say, I got distribution. Was there a you lot know? of money on the, what, what were the CDs and, and, and what, records? and CDs and records and cassettes. Cassette tapes. Was yeah. there a lot of money? A lot of money. Margins were much different. Um, you know, back then we could calculate almost on $11, $12 a unit. That would be backing out expenses. Like a CD could sell for $16 to $20, depending. Sure. And they and co-op at that point, like the big retailers weren't beating you up yet for all these discounts. Best Buy was the introduction of trying to drive down the price of a CD. And because they were successful at it, right? Because Best Buy's 
their motto wasn't so much about music. It was like, buy a refrigerator, buy a television, and while you're doing that, your kids are maybe in the music section, and we that's just like extra money for us. They weren't relying on the CD or the cassette to fund their sure. business model, right? So they could afford to just say, you know what? We could just make a dollar on a unit on a CD. We don't need to make this margin that the record stores needed to make. And they started to force the, where they started to change the pricing and they brought it way down. And then all the retailers would be like, well, if you're selling it to them for X amount, you got to sell it to us for X amount. And you know that that game of uh, back and forth of like every retailer wanting it at the same price and wanting discounts, and that just drove the pricing all the way down. You know, when you 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 done a bunch of deals over the years, back in the day when you closed like a, I don't know if you remember a moment, you closed a big deal. Did you celebrate like, were you into like, I always say that to people because sometimes people like just, you know, they're so busy working, they just put their head down and continue and don't even, you know, celebrate it. Yeah, I, you know, the duck down, the first deal with priority was definitely, well, I don't know if we did anything great, but I think we might have done like a, a little, we did do an office party when we first moved into those offices. I, pizzas? Pizzas, beer, had everyone up there. Like, I remember my father was up there. So when did, did yeah, your father did. believe it was real? I know he believed yeah. it was real when the limo picked him up or whatever and he got on a plane, but what about mom? Because I'm sure they no, had I left other, mom at home. But I'm sure they had <laughs> other, other. you know, they thought you would maybe be some, you know, maybe... Uh, I was in law school. Doc. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't, I was, no, I was never in law school. I was taking the L stats, right? Well, that's what they call the L stats. L stats, yeah. And that's when I was interning. At the same time, I was interning for Nervous Records. The same summer, I was studying for the L stats. And then when... I met Buck and things started to like you know happen quickly. I decided maybe I'll put I'll put taking the test off for a year and I'll come back to it next year. I'll see how this first year does. But there, it happened so fast for me from that point that there was like no looking back. And my parents were extremely supportive. Like my mom would have been my number one fan, still is the number one fan. Like she, if it was probably more my dad that that was like. You know, let's be careful with what we're doing here. Let's let me take because it was new. It was new territory. Yeah, too. but my mom was like, just go for it. You know, like she she was always supportive that way, um, and I was fortunate. You know, like I came from a, a a household where, you know, I was able to intern. I was able to make seventy five dollars a week and go back and forth from the city and still live in my parents' house and not have to worry about a bill or this or that. Like sure. those those are advantages that I, look, I you know, one hundred percent that I had. I. I get into that with with um, with my wife once in a while. She'll you know she'll test me on that, and I and I'll say there's no question about it. Like the ability to you know for kids or for young people to be able to do and explore what they're you know like without the pressures of like some kids might not have been able to do that because they might have had to contribute to rent or sure. they might have had to buy all their own clothing or pay off school bills or do other things that wouldn't allow them to take a seventy five dollar sure, a week sure, internship. Sure. So I think from that perspective, my I had a little more flexibility. From my parents were supporting me in in both ways, like they were helping me helping sure. me financially, financially but they were also believing in what I was doing. So they never were steering me in a different direction. Well, check out how hard this is in parenting, right? Every parent, now that you're a parent, your son's three, like three and a half, you know, mm -hmm. right? My son's going to be four. They're around the same age. Again, I was telling my man Isaiah. Uh, was saying that we look alike and we, our kids look alike. I was like, what the hell's going on here? But, uh, you know, if, 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 if they need uh, me to play uh, Druha's uh, biopic at any time uh, <laughs> throughout your life, we'll figure it out. Um, but, you know, check this out. We as parents, and, and I'll tell you even from having a daughter that's older, you work 
your mindset is to do more for your kids than your parents did for you, right? And in the interim, sometimes you spoil them because, you know, now don't get me wrong, your parents uh, uh, afforded you the opportunity to, say, just live at their house uh, and possibly, you know, have food in the fridge and you have to worry, you know, it's not like they did, you know, it's not like you had a, a, a hot tub running for you when you came home, but... It was a great opportunity for you to do that. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is as, as parents, as we are, you know, that's what you want to do for your kids. Right. And, and you know, it, you know some, sometimes it makes them lazy right. when you do more for them. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it, hurt, it hurts them. Sometimes it helps them. I, I think it's a good point of what you're saying. Even like being able to look back on it. I think that my father, as, as would I, would draw the line of, you know, I always had some type of job. Like I grew up in a in a in a good neighborhood, in a good household with plenty of money, plenty, you know, thing. I'm in the suburbs. But my father always instilled, like, you're going to have a job. You're going to have a paper sure, route. Sure. You're going to work. You're not sitting at home all summer. You're going to be a counselor. You're going to work at Foot Locker. You're going to do something. So I always had that work mentality of, like, you know, no, even though it was there for me, like, you're still going to earn. You're not going to just sit back and become lazy. Like, that was probably a, a big, you know, point for them as parents was to make sure that, their children, because I, I have two brothers as well, um, wouldn't be lazy. And I think from a parenting aspect, those those are things you can look at and say, sure. you know, you want to instill certain values in your children and hope that they'll, you know, be self-driven and that they'll be motivated and become all that they can be. You know, Pops is a lawyer. Sometimes lawyers are, I don't want to say, you know, sometimes the way they operate is a little bit different. Was Pops like, did you like have a real good relationship with him where he was like very loving or hang out with you or, you know, hug you or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes lawyers are, I say that because, you know, it's like, even I think about like, you know, it's funny, like, you know, rest in peace, Reggie, and rest in peace to mm-hmm. your Pops. Rest in peace, uh, Reg. You know, but I think about like, you know, sometimes lawyers, it's like the way, you know, like I was like, they're, they, they, they're wired a different way, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're not good parents, right? right. Not people who, who do it. But so, sometimes some parents, like, I always look at it even, and I speak about this to a lot of people who are on the show. Like my father, great guy. But his father was an Italian guy named Nunzio, who didn't speak <laughs> no English, had a diaper route when he came here. Like, you know, where you, mm-hmm. clean, you know, bring in diapers, I guess they clean yeah. them, drop them back. Before Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big drinker, but never like hugged him. Never, he didn't show him love. So you think about it. My father's a great guy, but then I think about it, you know, and I love him. But he didn't. He really wasn't like that with me. You know, my my father had a rule like I had to give him a kiss good night every night. He had to hug me like to the point where I was like fourteen, going damn, I gotta kiss him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it it became a little like oh. And as he got older, it was like a wet and uh, you know, like Uh, yeah. yeah, my dad. My Come dad here was, and give your dad a kiss, Drew. Yeah, like you're not gonna leave this house without giving yeah. me a kiss. You're not I gonna like leave that, it. And I'm and I'm already grown. <laughs> so yeah, he was very he was an affectionate father. He liked to give me a, a hug. Um, he was. Did that help? I'm, I said that. Do you think like that? Like when you look back at it, did, I'm super affectionate yeah. with my son right now. Yeah. And I was one. I'm always questioning myself, like, because I remember the point of like when I became 12 or 13 or 14, and like you know not wanting that like. You know what I mean? Like not wanting so much affection. Sure, sure, sure. Like enough. Like drop me off in the back. <laughs> right. You know, they think about it. Right. Know? And that, so well, I'm always mother, wondering yeah. how much time do I have before my son is going to feel like that towards me? But um, yeah, no, he, he was he was a very loving, affectionate father. We had a good relationship. I think 
I, I was a little out there in terms of the things that I was doing, or, or I was a DJ. I was into, you know, hip hop music from. 12, 13, like, I'm sure like, there was, was the first time you heard, like, what, what was the first probably song you like, heard? Pro- I remember, like, Sugar Hill Gang mm. in, in grade school. I remember kids coming in with the record and seeing the, you know, like, the light blue and the, yeah. whatever that was, yeah. was it like a horn or something. It almost looked like some Dr. Seuss shit off the record. And then, you know, Rapper's the light. And, and I remember kids in my school that just knew every word. And I was just like watching them say, and I wanted to learn every word. I was like, wow, like this really is amazing how they can sure. you know, say these these rhymes. Like, I don't know what, what it was, but I also grew up in a household. My mother was, um, you know, she listened to Earth, Wind & Fire and Stevie Wonder and Fleetwood Mac and- uh, Fleetwood Mac's classic. Yeah, like as much as like the Billy Joel's and sure, the Elton sure. John's, there was always like a, a soulful element to the music. Um, you know, and there wasn't hip hop in the, in the early '70s. I'm not going to get into that debate of you know when it sure, started, sure. where it was, and you know I'm not trying to go, go, go that far with it. I'm just saying that those those were the those sounds like evolved into a lot of what early hip hop became. You know, and even down to like the Bee Gees and right like staying alive and and the, and the, the, those soundtracks with the dancing. Um, or the, what was Saturday Night Fever, right? Sure. Like certain movies that influenced movement and. and I, what was disco, right? Like disco almost before hip hop. So that was already embedded in me. Um, and when I discovered hip hop, it was like a, a, it was the natural progression. It wasn't like I just never went towards the 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 rock side or the heavy metal side. Like those things just didn't kind of they didn't click for me. I actually now go back and rediscover more Metallica. music. Not not heavy metal, but like a lot of light rock and and. Okay. You know what I mean? Like st- songs heavy I would have heard was in my big back then. I mean, heavy still, metal was it's huge. Still, it, I, ACDC. Yeah, ACDC, uh, Metallica. <laughs> I, I can never, but some of that shit I can never get into because I, I get into it. I used to make a joke that, and I'm not saying all was like this, but I remember there was like, like growing up, it was like hip hop, and then there was like heavy metal, like you know, group like. I used to make a joke and say like the, the some of the songs like kill my dog you know <laughs> eat my homework you know like it was like something like right. no it was like very like you know I don't know I like never listened mad people yeah it like, didn't you know? it didn't cl- I couldn't it didn't click with me it didn't click with me either I couldn't I couldn't feel it I couldn't understand it but I say that go back now and I think that I have a more diverse palette for music sure, sure. today. Me too, me too. I hear sure. songs that I used to hear in the dentist office and I like, <laughs> turn that shit off. Now I'm like, yeah, that's a nice song. Baby, come back. Yeah, come <laughs> like, back. Yeah. You know, like certain songs that now I appreciate, like the, or like the police, right? Like yeah, groups police, like that, yeah. like Sting. Like I didn't appreciate it enough. I didn't appreciate th- those musicians and those artists then enough. It was almost like I was too cool to even give it a chance because it wasn't hip hop. Like yeah, I had yeah, to prove yeah. my, yeah, yeah. That I was only doing this, you know. Well, I needed to diversify, even like growing up in Brooklyn, like, and 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 I, you know, we, I was very big into systems and very big into. So we drove around smoking dirt weed uh, all day long, pounding music. Like we had two tens in the back, Rockford Fosgate, Alpine amps. You know what I mean? So so like, you know, the point I'm making is we had to get to a point where it's like I would listen to DMX or if I would listen to uh, a certain type of you know like it depends who it could have been KRS-One it could have been I 
believed every lyric I was hearing. Right. So I had to diversify sometimes and go to a a, a more like R and B, you know what I mean, or, or a boys to yeah. men to calm down. Like I listen to X man, I I I, caught, I, I would catch a felony. I would yeah. be speeding. I I. I just would get ramped up, you right? Because I, mean? I really believed the life of it. even Mob Deep. I remember, like you know, even like I always say, Karis One, even love's gonna get you. Like I remember when, when he said, "I make about a G a week." Fuck school, right? Like I'll never forget that. Right. I was like, "Yo, fuck that." I, I didn't go back to school for like five months. But see, that. that's not what he was trying to tell no, you. I know, but, I know, but, but, but right, but, but, it's so crazy though. But yeah, I give an example. But I believe like the way he was saying, like you think about it. He said. uh you know, uh, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in junior high with a B plus grade. At the end of the day, I don't hit the arcade. I mm -hmm. go from school to my mom's apartment. But he was explaining like, and then how like, you know, because with with one and a half, he had three pairs of jeans that he shared with his brother. He said, right. With one and a half, one one and a half pair of jeans ain't cool. But there's no dollars for nothing else. I got right. beans, rice, and bread on my shelf. Mm -hmm. And he said every day I hear my mother struggling. Right. Now it's time I got to do something. I look for work. I get dissed like a jerk. I do odd jobs. I come home like a slob. You're doing a cover right but now. But think about it. Think about it. Here comes Rob. So, so he goes, I, I do odd jobs, come home. So, so, he, so he said, uh, so basically as he's moving, and this is what I believed in. Like, he was like, yo, he did odd jobs, come home like a slob. Didn't work for him. So he's like, you know. He, so he said, here comes Rob, you know, you know, he, he said his gold is chivalry, you know, right. right? But he says, like, he gives me 200 for a quick delivery. Right. I do it once, I do it twice. Now he's hooked. Now there's steak with the beans, beans and rice. rice. Yeah. So I believed in that shit. Like, I was like, fuck that. I'm selling, and I, I started selling drugs on a fucking Cannondale. Yeah, he got to you, man. But he got, but the whole message didn't come across. Right? I know the teacher would be upset if I brought right because like, Chris, because sure Chris was more than that. because well because Chris was ultimately saying like he knew that he had to put he had to get you before he could come with the message. So he's like he had to he knew the image that he had to project right to pull us all in or pull the youth in to for them to listen to the message and the teachings that he was about to come with. You know I don't think that it was. I don't think that Chris ever. I don't, look, we turn this into a KRS conversation, but because that would get too deep, we actually did a whole a whole project with Chris, which was like another amazing experience of my journey. The Duck Down? Yeah, we did a whole a whole album with them. But um, wait, what was the first album called? Criminal Minded. Yeah, Criminal. Right. Mind. So that's a, so so Criminal Minded. He's on the album cover with the gun, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's like yeah, this yeah. with the gun, and I heard him. I've heard him do interviews of, of him explaining that like Criminal Minded was that he was going. He had to go for the Criminal Minded to bring them in because that's who he felt he needed to influence and change. And the only way he was going to do it is if he could get them to believe that he was, you know, sure, sure, sure. like that. Sure. So, but you, but my, yeah. my my I go back even. We're probably a little different in age, and I like it, it. It even goes back a little further before it switched to right because early groups like Houdini, yeah, and, sure, sure, and Grandmaster Flash, yeah. and although there was the message, the message was a big record to me because that that gave me insight to a life that I didn't know much about. So, you know, some people will say like, oh, hip hop was like the CNN to you know the CNN for for people who didn't know what street life was and this and that. And I still grew up. White Plains is a very diverse. Um, suburb right it's, it's a suburb it's not the city it's not brooklyn <laughs> but it's a very diverse like lot in my school there there was everything it's it's a melting pot of sure. different ethnicities and i grew up um with all different types of friends and i think god you know i love my parents for that because you could be in the suburbs and you could also just be in communities where it's just all white kids all italian sure, kids sure, all sure, jewish kids sure. so white plains is like big up white plains it's it's you know still like that today you get a very diverse 
community there. And I think that becomes helpful because not only am I hearing the songs, but I also know, you know, different I know different people in different situations. It could be in a house in White Plains, but they also have projects in White Plains, and they're putting all the kids in the same school. And we're having sleepovers, and you know the kids are the parents are allowing the intermingling. And imagine what those conversations were, right? Like, forget the political correctness. I'm just saying, imagine in the '70s what those conversations sure. were like. Of like, hey, should we let him go over to uh, you know to that project building to have a sleepover tonight? And like, yeah. we as the kids are just thinking that's my friend in school and that's where I'm going to go tonight but I think the music was like the you know the crossing sure, line absolutely it was a bridge yeah. you know even think about like and, and, and again I use X uh, with somebody that slipping you know let me tell you something that song mm -hmm. really made me look at my life uh, when I remember when it just came out like uh, where I needed to make a change you know I wasn't I wasn't a good person uh, right you know, and 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 you know, and, you know, and also just of the kid, you know, thinking I want to be better, and I don't want to, you know, get in trouble anymore, and I, I, I just want to change my life around. I'm telling you, that song really stuck to me. Again, there's a lot of songs like Phil Collins has songs that stuck to me, but music is so important. Right. Even staying on this topic, you think about how long you've been in the music business. Right. There's a lot of people. I remember hearing one time DJ Enough say. He loves music, but he hates the music industry. Oh yeah, I think that happens to all of us as yeah. we we Are go. Are you burnt out by now? I, I, I have my days, you know. I have my time where, where I'm burnt out from the managing, the taking care of artists, the you know the ask, the request. It's like you know when you're a manager and and you've been doing it for a long time, that shit is like man, you could you might you could be a babysitter at times, yeah. you know, like you're doing tasks that you just think if you. You know, you talk about spoiling your parents, spoiling you. What about like people in work? If, if if you're constantly doing things for people and they don't learn how to do it for themselves, and you got your own life to live, and it's different as you're younger, and then your responsibilities change as you get older. Uh, of course, like the burnout happens from that you know side of it. The politics of the business, always trying to have to you know, reestablish your credibility or reestablish yourself when you're going to the DJs, or always trying to prove yourself in terms of the next record that you have, or it's it's a competitive business, right? Like you're, that, what you're promoting is is always what you're going up against everyone sure. else with. So that part of it gets tiring. You can, you know the the rounds that you have to make on every single record can become repetitive, um, and it, it yeah it burns me out a little bit. But at the end of the day, when we make that right record, or I hear that that right beat, or I see that right video, or, or even the right marketing campaign that we launched successfully, and I know how much goes behind it and how much thinking and strategy went into it, you know, that that sucks me back into it every time. Even as you move, uh, you know, and evolved in your career over the years, you um, manage and, you know, will sign, and I'll let you tell it, but Young M.A. Yeah. And, and I remember seeing, like, where she gave everybody, like, a plaque and yeah. I thought that was a really dope. Is that is that we we brought it back with those plaques? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, tell us about it. First of all, tell and also tell us how you met. Like the first time you met her. Well, I'll, I'll first say this because if she ever heard this, she would, she would hang me for it. But um, you know, I would say we didn't we didn't sign Young and May, right? You can't sign Young and May. I, and that same thing was said to me by KRS. I didn't tell you the the album we have with KRS is is Buckshot and KRS One have a full album together. Yes, that's right. Yeah, survival okay. skills. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't again, right? Think about it. we didn't just like. That record didn't just appear. It's like we had to go and make that deal with Chris, and then we had to make that record with him and go through photo shoots and video shoots and studio sessions. So I, I got to spend a lot of time with him, and that was like, 
that to me was like a dream come true, you know, like as also huge KRS fan growing up. So to get to do a project like that. But I remember Buckshot went out and said in like a press interview, he said, yeah, we signed KRS. And Chris called me that night and he was like, yo, you don't, you don't sign I don't you don't you don't sign KRS like nobody signs KRS yeah, like yeah, yeah. We're, we're you know we're doing a project together like and he he basically had a you know I knew it but um it wasn't the way that that Buck presented it you have to be careful with with the words sometimes but with with MA it was you know she had music already being put out she had videos and uh, this is way way before ooh, way before the success of that record she had a lot of uh, mixtapes and different videos that were already up on YouTube and we just went to her to say like a lot of other labels we went to her to say that we could help distribute the music and kind of consult her and help her through the business and so we did a partnership with her where we you know that's how we, we phrase it where we distribute okay. and market her music and then we consult on the management side so we're, we're now we've evolved as part of the management team um, but that's how we started we were like consultants to the managers and we handled the distribution and the marketing. And that was about four years ago. I saw a, a freestyle from her on, um, it was over the Chirac beat. I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of people have seen it. I caught it when it was only at a couple of hundred thousand views on, on YouTube. I saw a number, it was like a Saturday. I called the number at the, you know, I clicked for more info, um, got the guy on the phone, his name was Jason Williams. I, I hit Jason up. He was like, yo, bro, you're late. You know, he's like, a lot of people are already calling. I was just, you know, really asking him for a meeting. I was like, just come in and meet with me. Just come, like, do you know, you know, I called Buck the next day. I was like, do you know these guys? Do you know anything about him? Buck didn't know him. Um, but I guess Jason did a little homework on us. And not only, Jason didn't really have to do that much homework because he was an older guy. He pretended like he didn't really know our history, but I know he did know our history. Sure. And I think that helped. Now, M.A., she didn't really know too much about us. Her her mom was a big fan of, of Black Moon, of Buckshot, and I think that also helped, like, you know, soften her position a little bit. And what you see with M.A., like in the music videos, um, maybe in interviews, things like that, it's kind of what you see is what she is as a person. She doesn't, there's no character for her. Like, that. that's her. She's very soft-spoken. She's very humble. She's very... Um, one level there's not like a lot of highs not a lot of lows so you know when we got to meet her we had to kind of like just figure out like what how we could explain to her in, in a short amount of time like how we could help and it actually took us like six months of just going back and forth with their team um you know saying look there's a couple of things that we think we could do and we did a, a this distribution deal where we said just give us a chance to kind of organize things and get it going and um I remember Buckshot was going up to see Flex for something else, and, and we said to Buck, bring her with you. We hadn't done the deal yet, and we knew it was a little risky because all the ones that I've lost in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I do not want to lose her, but I was like, fuck it, let's just show her some, you know, let's introduce her to Flex. And I'll also send you that link because it's pretty remarkable to go back and see it. You know, Flex was there for Buck, or Flex thought this was a Buckshot interview, and it turned into a a young and May holy shit moment for Flex. Like, he was just like, yo, where you been hiding? Like, what the hell? Yeah. And, you know, we took a little gamble there by bringing her up there because sure. we're putting her on the airwaves. But th those little steps that we were able to take to kind of show her some of the things that we could do to add on to what she was already doing is kind of like what led to the relationship. So Yeah, and I've recently just seen you put up a post, and it's like, you know, obviously you're a pure guy. I know you for a while. And, uh, you know, of how it's been four years that you've been part of that team 
of you know managing and consulting and and and, and yeah and partnership and 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 what a person she is and you know really to be honest with you you know you could tell the pureness of, of, of when someone posts. I, I really believe in that. Social media sometimes... I agree. Know, it, it, sometimes people rather look good than be good, but there's certain <laughs> people that I think you could feel the the uh, you know the passion right I, off the jump. I said that to Stat- Static hit, hit me this morning or like late last night. He sent Shouts me a, to Static. Yeah, he, he sent me a text like 2 in the morning. Another Duck Down alumni. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, he hasn't graduated yet because he's still, you know, still rocking with us. Yeah. He's, we put out like seven albums with Static. Um, but he texted me like 2 in the morning last night. I wasn't up, but I read it this morning and it was a text from Nipsey to Static or, or Static might have started it and Static was telling Nipsey like, "Yo, I got to get you on this album. I'm putting it out through Duck Down." And when I read shit like that, like I, he literally sent me the screenshot, and I, I always think like, you know, sometimes you you lose track of where you are in this business. And I'm like, would Nipsey know what Duck Down is? Like, would he? You know, sure, I've never sure, sure. spoken to him. And I, I, Static asked me, did I had I ever met him? And I said, you know, it's strange. Like it's six degrees in this business. Like I know so many people that were close to him, um, and that worked closely with him. But I never had any. Me- I've met him before, but never in like a meaningful manner, like where we ever had a, a real conversation. But I said, it's truly amazing to me, like the posts and everything that I'm seeing. Because to, to you know, just bringing back to your point of like, anytime I saw the the all the posts like down the timeline, it it always seemed very genuine in terms of like the you know the relationships that he had. It wasn't just like, oh, here's a picture of me and me and um you know DJ Clue or me and I know it's not him obviously posting it, but it's all the people that are posting sure. for him. And from looking at the pictures the same way, I could feel like, damn, that's one guy that I didn't get to meet. Um, in, in again, in a meaningful way, but the genuineness just kind of like comes through the gram, you know, yeah. in in a way that you can tell sometimes. So I'm I'm sorry to go off track that no, way. No, 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 kind of led there. You know, it's a, so it's been good to see, you know, her, her, you know, we think about Young M.A. And how many people being around us on call, call mispronounce her name? Like, oh, yeah, everyone. It's, at first Ma. it's always Young Not anymore because now it's kind of been out there for a minute. Yeah. But, you know, you think about, like, you know, how, you know, she had that hit song, yep. you know, and then has been able to bubble. And I, I, it, I think there's so much more left of what she's able to do. So it's good to see that, you know. I get a lot of... And I know she gets it. We get a lot of hate, and I even, yeah. I even. Why do you think that for? Well, one, one, what she is. Okay, so there's still a lot of people that that are not accepting of that. It's hard for us to understand that because I think in hip hop we are so encompassing that we, you know, especially as like, well, for me, especially as a white person in hip hop early on, it was like, you know, there weren't as many white people in the game when I first started. They were on the music side on the. On the industry side, there were, but not so much on the manager sides or the rappers or things like that. So I know what it's like to automatically, you know, feel like there's a group of people that don't want you to to be a part of it. Sure, sure. So maybe in in the in the realm of like where her sexuality is, there's just certain people that still cannot come to accept it for what it is, and then they feel threatened by it because she is a female, she is lesbian. And she's nasty, you know. She's nice with it. A lot of people, like the comments I get, are just like, I, I, I got one today where a dude was like, Drew, I can't believe you. You could, you could look at after we're done, like this isn't what you built your reputation and and 
your you know like this is what what you built your system on and i i don't i'm not normally one to engage but i kind of like fired right back at that guy and i said i don't i don't know which to me she has all the character characteristics that i look for in an mc which is cleverness wittiness lyricism like she's to me she spits incredibly like some of the best and the greats that i've been blessed to work with um a lot of duck down fanatics they want to keep the sound, right? We go sure, back to sure, minors sure, versus sure. majors. They want to keep the sound in pocket where it was. But this is the one that shuts it all down. Sean Price, for all the Duck Down fans, because it always will start, like no matter what they like on Duck Down, Sean is going to be Duck Down's favorite. And Sean has been on record many, many times in interviews, on video, saying that he didn't fuck with any female MCs, rap, yeah, right? Remember, yeah. he, it didn't matter. You can name they in the interviews. Yeah, you know, we, he, yeah I, like, I remember we used to argue he, with him back in, in, in when the combat just started about You couldn't just see the classic Sean about, face? Yeah. Like, <laughs> if he didn't have something nice to say, yeah, he would yeah. just make that face. Yeah. Like, And we were at, we had a show at B.B. King's. It was Black Moon and Mob Deep at B.B. King's. I don't, this is maybe 2015. And again, we had our, we already knew that we were aligning up to work with her. And Sean was at the show. He wasn't performing that night. And we brought Young and May out um, on that set that night. Buckshot brought her out. And she went for broke. She did Chirac. Uh, she did the record. And the crowd, like, you know, she won the crowd over. And Sean just, like, I remember he grabbed me. He put his arm around me, like his big-ass paw around me. He was like, yo, she's dope. Like, he was like, she's dope. He's like, that's a good look right there. Like, and Sean Price, you know, and Bernadette, you can ask Bern as well. Sure. Like, this is just, this isn't for me, but this is just to shut the duck down haters up that sometimes don't want to see it go anywhere. Like, you know, Sean, fuck with her. And I don't care, like, anyway. I don't care if Sean did or didn't. I fuck with her. Like, I saw it in a way that I sure. thought she reminded me of more of a, she reminded me of a throwback MC, but of a newer era. Like, the era and sure. the times change. We can't stop that shit. <laughs> like, you can... Uh, love and appreciate the golden age and the golden times and whatever artists are your favorites but you can't stop the evolution of it and if you don't figure it out and if you don't stop and listen and try to understand why the kids of today like it we sound like the old motherfuckers of our parents who didn't like sure, hip-hop sure. and it's gonna pass you right by right so remember remember it was like what's hip-hop yeah. what's that uh now it's more it's not about what's hip-hop it's just now we're the old people that are going well why do you like that artist it's still a hip-hop artist maybe we can get into the whole debate about it's branched off into so many different you know genres of it but at the end of the day it's still hip-hop so you know, for me, I've tried to keep an open mind and an open ear. I've learned that, like I said, I, I said it earlier in, in, in our conversation that I kind of learned that from Sean of the reinvention. Sure. Like, it's okay to let go. It's okay to do something else. Sean started going out on tour or doing features with um, a lot of groups that I wasn't really listening to, like Jedi Mind Tricks. Yeah. I, I can right name a bunch. He just started listening to shit that I was like, you're listening to this? Like, and all due respect, because then I started to listen to it and I would start to understand like why he liked the MC. I had to like, I had to do a little sure, more sure. homework. It didn't come as easily to me to understand. Like maybe the beat didn't hit me the same way, but then he was showing me like, yo, there's other shit out there. Listen, you know, really go and try to understand what it is. So I don't think that with MA, that conversation's even necessary. Like, I feel like if, you, if you're if you from New York, especially if you're from Brooklyn, how oh, fuck that, just New York, and like you listen to her freestyles or you listen to certain records, not Ooh, not Petty Wop, although those, those were great records, forget the big radio records, but just all the, she's got 
literally hundreds of songs up on YouTube, go listen to them, and you don't hear the lyricism or you don't hear, you know, the cleverness to what sh- how she's saying it and how she's spinning it, then I don't know. We're listening to two different things. I, I guess so. What about uh, Joey Badass? Is he still? Wasn't he signed to Duckdown Management? No, or? no. So Joey, it's like he came out of. Yeah, I, we but, tried. We tried real tough to get Joey. Um, Joey was signed to uh, Cinematic, right? Yeah. So I, 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 which you're at, right? Right. I have a, a, a general management of Cinematic in a, in a you know consulting role and work with that company. I've been working with them for five years, and that's where it started because um, the dudes from Creative Control, they're a video production company yep. they showed me a video of joey they had just directed the um the one with him and capital steez the first one i, I can't believe joey would kill yeah. me if i forgot the name whatever but they showed me the video and i was like damn that looks like a young looks and sounds like some young boot camp click shit like if i had ever seen it it was that like i felt the like i had the way he dressed the the fatigue stuff i remember yep. seeing that when he but just not, came up yeah. but not in a way where i'm like ill like you know what i mean cuz sometimes you can have the look and the appearance and it's like yo you're trying way too hard like you're just trying to do sure, that sure 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 joey was just like he you're very natural and he, it was an evolution again use that word it was a, it was an evolution of that right it was like it was birthed from that but it evolved in the where he's taking it now for young people and that that record was um and video I saw it and I was like damn I gotta I would love to meet him what's the deal he's like oh he signed to a a company called Cinematic or he's being managed by Johnny Shipes and so I hit up Johnny and um I'd only met Johnny once he had brought like I think he brought Big Crit by Cornerstone where I also worked for ten years I was like a music supervisor for them I've worn so many hats and this shit but um I called Johnny Drew I got eight jobs bro yeah I you did. worked for the sanitation department too. Some of the shit that I got to clean up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I hit I hit Johnny and we set up a meeting and he was like, "You like him?" Blah, blah blah. I said, "Yeah." And he said, "All right. Well, here's here's the deal." He's like, "You can do this deal, but you also got to do a Pro Error album." Pro Error was Joey's. True. That would be like Buckshot to Boot Camp. So I said, "Okay." You know, to me that was like that was like another win. Like, all right, we're gonna get both. And same thing. We started out with an offer to Cinematic, and we kind of went back and forth, and. For a while, it got it got quiet for a minute. I was going strong after it. It wasn't quiet on my part. I learned my lesson. But Johnny was in the midst of setting up his own. Like someone got to Johnny of, in terms of the business, and they were like, "You should set up your own company." And instead of going to Duck Down or somewhere else, um, you should you know start your own independent label. And he ended up doing that through Red, which uh, turned into the Orchard or is the Orchard today. And he did the deal, and he hit me up, and, and you know stand-up dude he hit me up and he told me he said look you know we really were going to do this deal with you but i just someone just linked me up and they got me an independent deal at red and i want to build it like how you built duck down and he said you know what they recommended and i know that you know maybe this is something you can help me with and i was like fuck it if i can't if i can't be involved and it can't be on duck down then i said you know what that is something maybe different i could try and so we got involved very early with cinematic um i was very fortunate to, to meet Joey at that very beginning stage. I had a, I was a huge fan of his, so I had like that that fan crush on him, and um, that makes me work harder. You know, when I when I really like something, uh, I rolled up my sleeves and I was able to put some deals together for him at Cornerstone. I I helped put that uh, deal together with DJ Premier and and Joey where they made that first record for Green Label Sound, yeah. which was on Mountain Dew. 
Um, and so we, we came right in the, be- in the beginning of that um, career. We came in with like a brand partner and we did some really um, cool things to really set off Joey's like early works. And then we that led to like a, a deeper relationship with Cinematic. And as we got the ball rolling there, Johnny and I, we just kept growing like, you know, he brought in more and more acts. Like Johnny's a beast. He, yeah. he has an incredible A&R ear. And he had a lot of things lined up. He also was very motivated. He's very driven. Like, there's no stopping that guy. So I like the logo. Yeah, and, the logo's uh, cool. And, and and I also am starting to hear more and more and more and more yeah. about cinematic. So it's it's good to see it's good to see that you know. Yeah, he I mean he had Mick Jenkins. He had um you know obviously Joey and 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 he had Big Crit and he had G Herbo and it was like a lot of things that were exciting. So uh, you know our roles grew there and and. To this day, it's still you know it's still a part of it. We part of that team is like man, we managed T Pain. You know, like yeah. nobody would even know that, but we just put the the a T Pain record out a couple weeks ago. We did a show at um at a, or he did a show at um what's Sony? Is it Sony Theater now? Best Sony Sony Music Hall. Yeah, Sony Music Hall. He sold it out. Uh, we helped set up a deal for him on Fox where he he was the mass singer. I don't know if you caught any of that. Mm. He won the show. Was on network. Um, uh, Nick Cannon was the host, and they did like they were singing behind masks, <laughs> and then he ended up winning that. So it, it you know, again for me, it's just like kind of just broadened my whole spectrum of of the things that I'm involved with sure. and and get to do. How many people have been on Duck Down, man? I mean, Torre, shouts to Torre, shouts to Sky Zoo, yeah, Rusty Jooks, Rusty Jooks. Shit, else, we man? got a album with Be Real from Cypress Hill. Really? Yeah, man. We put out Be Real's Static first. Static Selector? Static put out like seven. We got. You said you put out Be Real what? We put out Be Real's first solo album. Nice. Yeah. And I still talk to B to this day. Yeah. He's know? got the. He's, he's killing it with the Dr. Green Thumb. Yeah. He's got his own. Uh, that was yeah. an honor, man. Yeah. You know, like like the KRS album was an honor. We did a whole album with P Rock. And know? Night Wonder. Right. And, I, and then we then we developed the Ninth Wonder relationship. We, we probably have done One like, of my favorite songs with him and Sean Price is. Uh, Ninth Wonder and Sean Price song is uh, see how uh, our memories are getting so. Are you ba- crazy that I might remember this? Uh, Heartburn. Heartburn. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That that shit. That whenever I hear that shit, it makes me really almost uh, shed a tear know, of how much man. I miss P. It's crazy. You know. You know. Uh, <laughs> look, man. Your journey is crazy, man. You've been you've been in the music industry. You've been around for so long. What's the future for artists? Like, what's the future in the music business? What's the future for the artists? From your from your opinion. Well, the future for artists is that they are able more than ever to do it themselves. So, you know, they they're able to get it started. And I think that for record labels, it's it's evolving not to just be a record label, but to be more of, um, like, more encompassing. Like, if you can be a good manager, if you can help with getting licenses, if you can help with press, you know, can you be a good publicist? Do you know DJs? Can you, you know, start to introduce people and accelerate the story that a lot of the artists that we're discovering today have already achieved a certain level of of accomplishment, right? We're all looking at artists that have, most of the time you're finding artists that have some type of following on the socials or some type of views on YouTube. That means they're doing it first on their own. We're all kind of a little late by the time we get to it. So... You know, I think the future, the future remains like the distribution chain has totally changed. You can go and put your music up through TuneCore. You could go and get a distribution deal so much easier than you could back in the day. For the record labels, for people like what I do, it's more of assembling good teams of people that can kind of assist an artist versus rather saying like that you can make an artist. 
So are you looking for artists? Is, is, you know? I'm always looking. Yeah. I'm always I'm looking on YouTube. I'm looking on on the gram. I'm looking. I'm I'm always looking. Popping up in clubs or you not know, as much shows. Or... Not as much. Okay. I, me and Sean had a good. You got a pea coat on in the back. You yeah. on your Leor Cohen shit. Sean used to tease me about that shit too. He he would he say I was I was on. He would he would kind of like joke me about where I would. He was like, oh, you you go into the hood to look for some new talent. Like he would fuck with me that way. Yeah. Like no, you damn sure no, you're not doing that. But yeah, people bring you, people bring you things. Um, some people reach out directly. I, I slow down a whole lot in terms of what we take on. I, I, some companies are built on volume, and that that's a new model for a lot of companies. Like like Empire is a great example of that, where they they took on a lot of things and they swung the bat a lot of times. And then if you get some hits along the way, sure, sure, it's you a know, win. Cinematic is very much like that. They sign a lot of artists. Not to say that it's not quality but there is a lot of quantity they they're very aggressive in what they go after i think for duck down we're a little more selective because we are still independent to this day there's no investor there's no one behind there's no so it's still just you and uh buckshot yes yeah, how have you stayed Buck. together for so fucking long was it 20 plus years you know that 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 relationship has changed over the years too it's just like we've kind of fallen back into the roles that we're best at you yeah know? but I don't know, man. All, all of those relate. All of those relationships. My Smith and Weston. We just put out a new album from yeah. them. With produced by Steel. I gotta have them up here too. Yeah, I don't, we never had contracts, man. We we really handshakes. Never, we had handshakes and and you know, it's crazy. I, I I more recently with the newer works, we we contract them because it's like we have to define sure, sure. the percentage. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. but it's like in the beginning there never were contracts. They never like. If if Sean Price didn't want you to manage him, I don't care what piece of fucking paper I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't gonna matter. It wouldn't be like Sean, I'm your manager. Yeah. Like <laughs> smack the shit out of you. Right. The fuck? You know, like if you don't, I, that that's not me. I'm not some I'm I am on the ground that way. I am still going to the interviews and the radio shows. You know, and, I see you all over in shows. I see you in in, in, in you know. I try to, you know, yeah. I try. I'm I'm more tired than I used to be. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't have the bandwidth. That, well, you have that, a kid now. Yeah, I have a kid now. And so so I'm probably more selective and I know that each artist is still going to require a whole lot of time, and for to do it, there's a lot of hand holding in the beginning, yeah. you know. And you got to be the management and the management side. You know, I remember when uh, a couple of people told me. I know a bunch of different managers uh, as well, but I remember like Steve Labelle telling me something that uh, really Big stuck up with Steve. me. You know, he told me he's like, "Yo, I never knew a manager. I never knew how to be a loan shark and a babysitter and and a therapist." And 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 I forgot what he said, but it was like all those things. Yeah, and, and he said I never knew I was signing up for all of this. Right. You know, even like and I, you know, I I know managers that are taking care of child support payments for two different, you know, mothers or three different, you know, like meaning like, I didn't sign up for this right. like, to make this paperwork, but you know, it's it's you really I, like you know you said it before. It's like almost like we're being babysitting. But at the end of the day, I think when you have a project, or, you know, that you're working on, or an artist that you're working on, and you see it come to life, it's worth it. You yeah, know? man. And I say it's like an honor. You know, they, you know, I wrote that to Ma in the post today, and I said it's an honor and a privilege. And I didn't want it to sound corny, but that I was thinking it to myself. And I'm thinking how many we talked about her haters, right? But we also talk about how many people fucking love her and do acknowledge that you know the artist that she is. And then I and I. Always thought about that with Sean. I always thought about that, like I said, being in the studio with Pete Rock or being in the studio with Be Real or you know, whatever it is, Buckshot for all those years. It is an honor 
and a privilege to be able to be that close and sure. to watch it. It's like sure. being having courtside seats at a game sure. or, or being the coach. Not even not even the courtside seats. It's like being the coach yeah. of a team. Yeah. And you get all access. And there's a lot of there's a lot of headaches that come with it, but if you love what you're doing and you love the music, then every night that he has a game and he's getting to sit sure, down sure, and, to... and be in the locker room and be there's a you know th- those are the rewards and I still enjoy that side of it you know you got your brother in the business as well yeah so you love the business so much you got your fucking whole family in there yeah you know it, I don't it, know if that it, was the best no, Sean used to always tell Noah to, to not come into because he knew him from yeah. when he was like eight nine years old and he was Noah stay the fuck away from your brother like he imagine how Sean would say yeah sure sure he's very very convincing so. yeah Sean don't go in this fucking rap shit like he used to always say that to Noah but Noah um, is basically the general manager of Duck Down he's also a partner of mine in a company we have called DNF um, and that's an, another company that we have set up that's a distribution company. The first artist that we signed on that company is an artist named Jay the Youngin. Mm-hmm. I never get to talk about him because no one would even dare to even ask me about him, but Jay the Youngin is um, 20 years old. He's from Bogalusa, Louisiana, and right now he's streaming like more music than anything on my catalog, like anything put together. He just does like massive numbers through his YouTube, through um, Spotify and SoundCloud and all those things. So uh, it was another one that we partnered on with Johnny and we were able to like kind of remove ourselves from what we would normally and typically do and just operate from from the background but still have sure. a successful business out of it. And, um, you know, Noah runs that ship. Like it, it's not an easy job, but he runs it. Um, what's, what's next for uh, Drew Ha? You know, obviously you're up at Cinematic with Johnny Shipes. Yeah. And what they're doing over there. I like that. I know there's a couple. I, I, again, like I said, I like what they're doing. I, I know I know the kid Busy that was, you know, Big works. Up busy. I like Busy. Big up Hovane. Uh, Hovane. It's sad. It was a sad Chris Hirsch. Sad. We put, a, we yeah. put like a nice team together yeah, up there. Gotta, it's like yeah. fucking. It's, it's, it's big, like a mafia team over there. There's big things happening up there. Yeah. Um, so I'd say Cinematic is. It, cinematic. You know, duck Down Management is still going. Duck Down mu- Music. You know, the, down, the, yeah. the record label, we're still putting out music. Uh, you know, I just said we just put out the Smith and Wesson sure, the ninth sure. record. We'll be selective and look at different things that we want to put out. We've got more shows. On price projects coming, um, you know, I don't know. I don't. Any more I kids? Any more kids? I don't think so. I think I think wifey said that's it. Okay. I would have another one. one and I think done? she said that. Well, I told you also off that we watch her niece, so I've got yeah. a sixteen-year-old in my house. Yeah. I feel like I put my time in. It, sure, it's like it's like a kid. It's yeah, like, it's like your own kid. Yeah. You know. And and then and then all these kids that I've that I've yeah. that I've watched over all these years, like I always say that, like you know, it's like you you. You're a manager to all these artists. There's some parenting that, yeah. <laughs> that translates. That's crazy. Listen, yeah. uh, on on um, IG, uh, Drew Ha, straight yep. up? Just D-R-U-H-A. Did you just, that was available when you went and got it? I got it, it early, man. Okay. okay. And uh, Twitter, you still fuck with Drew? Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter as Drew Ha. I don't, I don't hit do it up. enough. Hit him up, but 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 don't, 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 don't try to send him a CD. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay? Don't try to send him a CD. You know, sometimes you go to A3C or some of these festivals, people still want to hand you CDs. Yo, man, no fucking hand me. Man. I've told people stop giving me CDs a couple years ago. Like, you can't send me a link. Like, fuck out of here with a zip drive. Sean used to do that too I don't know if we're out of time but Sean used to um, he would go once in a while he would go on Twitter rampages and he would tell people Drew said he's looking for beats Drew said (laughs) he's looking for new artists and I would just get flooded and then he would laugh and you know his day would go on and my timeline would be like 
Yo, I got beats. I got beats. I miss Sean Price <laughs> on Twitter, man. In general, listen. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say this. You know, uh, thank you. Uh, and I always say, there's a lot of people who their journey is a. You know, this hip hop is a whole puzzle, and you're a piece of the puzzle. Just like a lot of people have pieces, you're a piece of the puzzle. What Duck Down has done, what you have done. But more importantly, I will say this too: when you think about like just the person you are and, and the relationships you have and the longstanding, you, you know, you think about even when your pops, you know, and I'm sure he's looking down proud. Mm-hmm. You know, you ran the marathon for him, raised a bunch of money for him. You know, like I, there's just there's just a lot of passion with what you're doing. I'm proud to have seen it. Oh man, you know, thank you. Wish you all the best, man. So yeah. we'll talk soon, and uh, I'm glad we we're finally able to get this done. Internet, when you see this group picture, okay, we're not twins, we're not brothers. He's <laughs> Jewish, I'm Italian, okay, but uh, he's definitely family. That's right, Drew Ha. Well sound music. Cheer, Internet. If you enjoyed that episode, then hit me up. That's right, email me at thepremiumpshow at gmail Again, that's thepremiumpshow at gmail if you're an advertiser, any big company, small company, startup, whatever it is, you want to advertise on the Premium Peep Show, hit me up. Email thepremiumpeepshow at gmail.com. And we'll, we'll get to working, okay? And if you have a suggestion or you want to hear a certain guest on the show, whatever it is, okay? You know, you could at Premium Pete, at Premium Peep Show on Twitter or Instagram. Or for the last time I'll tell you, well, I'm not gonna, it's not the last time, email me. The Premium Pete Show at gmail.com. And let's get to working. Cheer.